0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Earlier this week, my wife uh, shared with me the story she had heard. It's about a 28-year-old mom um, who had never had a problem with her body image until she was in seventh grade when a male substitute teacher overheard her talking with her friends about how she wanted to audition or try out for uh, the cheerleading team and this male substitute teacher that she had met that day walked up to her in front of her friends and said to her, I think you should consider trying out for color guard wrestling um, or marching band because you're not made to be a cheerleader. This 22nd conversation had a dramatic impact on this 13 year old woman's or girl's life. Um, it, to the point where this 28-year-old mom is still talking about that chance encounter with a male substitute teacher. Words have power. Would you agree? Words uh, and stories like these can cut deep into our lives and create worlds that we didn't even know existed. There are words that we have embodied in our lives that have caused us to go inward and to consider all of the possibilities that we were unaware of until that word was spoken over us or to us. Words have the power to shape the world we live in. Um, And we clearly see right now in our cultural moment, as we use that phrase, uh, words have incredible power to divide. Words have incredible power to... um, Shame and produce anger and hostility. And we live in a moment where we're able to broadcast our words to the world in a way that creates more cycle or a a greater cycle of shame and division. Would you agree? Words have the power to create new worlds, both good and bad. I remember in college... When uh, Brennan Manning came to speak at Vanguard University, and I was a huge fan of Brennan Manning, I had read uh, read lots of his work at that point, and I'm still I still read his work um, regularly throughout the year. And I remember hearing a word in a moment where I was able to hear the word, and these words hit me. They I, I had read them before, but Brennan in his brilliant. Uh, communication. He he never wasted a word when he preached. If you had the ability, or if you want to go on and listen to Brendan Manning, he's written several books, Ragamuffin Gospel, All His Grace, Abba's Child, The Importance of Being Foolish. Amazing works by this man. It's basically the same theme, and it's basically around the same idea. And this is the idea that hit me when I was a 20-something, young college student. He said, God loves you, as you are, and not as you should be. Now, I say this to you, and some of you are like, oh yeah, I've heard, I've heard you say this before, but that was the moment, it was when I was 20, and he said it, and it hit me, and it was as if he was speaking directly to my soul, because if you know me, I'm an Enneagram 3, which is the need for success, or you could say, a guy who learns to earn everything. I want to earn value by what I do. I want to earn my worth by what I accomplish. I consider myself valuable by what I can produce. So when I come into Christian faith, learning this idea of Jesus, what I projected onto God is in order to receive love from him, I have to do all of this stuff to earn his love. God loves you as you are not as you should. I am the king of shoulds. I should do this. I should do that. They want me to do this, so I should do this. And I learned in that moment as a word, a phrase hit me, the spirit began to unlock all sorts of pain. And I remember weeping along with basically 90% of those young people at that moment (laughs) as Brennan Manning ministered to us. But it was that word That began to shape an inner world in my life. God loves you as you are and not as you should be. In Christianity, there are these words that we kind of adopt because we're Christians. These words we kind of stumble into, and and in many ways I feel like because of this culture of Christianity, we we can potentially lose the power of the word themselves, or the words we get to kind of champion as these bearers of good news. We can we can lose um, the 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 meaning. Wow, I am shaking right now. <laughs> I'm not cold, (laughs) but I I cannot even stand. Is there a stool? I'm going to grab a stool. (laughs) Sorry. Not sorry. I don't don't know what's going on. I'm going to sit down. Jesus, thank you, God. We just bless you, Father. We bless you, Jesus. I'm sorry if this is your first time. There's a lot happening, but I'm just going to sit for a moment. Holy Spirit, would you just minister to us? We just don't want to miss uh, what you're doing. I know you have a word for us this morning, but I also know you have a heavenly agenda that can often offend our earthly agenda. You see, in the past, I would want to not do something awkward like this because I was afraid of looking like a fool or not having a well-articulate sermon that people could love and walk away happy about. I don't care about any of that anymore. I just don't care. I don't have to preach if, if God wants to do something else. But I, I feel a bit shaky, and I shared this before because I don't get shaky unless the Holy Spirit's moving on me. And I've learned to trust the shakiness that I get. And so I'm feeling the little jitters. And I hate it because I like control. (laughs) Oh, This is hilarious. And we're live streaming. So if you're eating Cheerios on your couch in your pajamas, I pray you have the shakes and can go all the way. You know, when we were worshiping, I wanted to get up. Maybe this is what happened. I wanted to get up before faith was finished. And I wanted to say, I saw on our congregation um, what f- looked like scales falling off. And I felt like it was like, um, like a, a snake shedding skin. Uh, that's kind of graphic, or like a, I was reading a book last night of um, who would win in a fight, lobsters or crabs, to my boy. And. <laughs> It's like a series that Alex gets at the public library, and they're great. It's like great white or killer whale. We are, we are going against the blue crab versus the American lobster. Both grow by shedding their outer layer. And I just felt like, man, there's an outer layer that's like a crusted on layer on us that's, that's hardened by the world right, by our political perspectives, by our by the pain people have caused us, by the disappointment of this last year, by the loneliness and the feeling like we'll never really belong, like this crust needs to just come off, and it's not something we can do except let it come off by the power of the Holy Spirit, and so that sounds really strange, but I just felt like healing was going to come in the room when, when we began to identify we need to release that. I didn't want to share it because it sounded so strange, but now I have to because I can't go on until this happens. So Holy Spirit, would you just minister to us today? I pray for a fresh wind. I pray that you'd release us, Lord, to be your children today. Would you bring healing? I pray as I preach right now physical healing would happen. I've longed for that. Just as we pray, I want you to know, I've prayed for so much healing the last couple months on the street and not one person has been healed. And I'm asking the Lord, I'm pleading, Lord, I know this is for today. Bring it again. Do it again. I want to see an undeniable move of God, undeniable power in the Holy Spirit where the presence of God is felt so tangibly. People come from all over because we want to experience God's nearness. So, Lord, would you just release your spirit in Jesus' name in this church? And I pray as we we open up your word, I pray for the courage to be prophetic in this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do ministry time, but um, I want to share some thoughts because I believe this word actually matters so much because... Uh, I am trembling, and I think it has to do with some of the most significant words that we have in Christianity. So Ephesians chapter 1 says, um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And then he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to do a survey, in fact, why don't we just throw up these scriptures so you can see, you would see how often Paul uses this phrase, these words to address the church. We talked about holy last week, God's Hagioi, holy people, saints in Ephesus, in Rome, in Colossae, in Thessaloniki. Here, Paul uses another phrase in almost all of his letters. In Romans, he says it. In 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, go to the next one. In Galatians, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When he writes to his disciple, his beloved son in the Spirit, Timothy, he says to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from the Father in Christ our Lord. In Titus, he says, my son, another disciple, um, he says, grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philemon, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is all about grace and peace. But this is the thing. We can often, as Christians, miss the word and its meaning and significance. I would like to suggest that these words are probably the most important for this cultural moment. That it's not just a concept I want you to get today. It's not just the definition of a Christian understanding that I want you to understand today. It's a way of life where we live in a cycle of shame and hostility, of anger and division, a cycle of shame, anger, hostility, bitterness, entitlement, outrage, division. We as followers of Jesus... The church, let me just, if you say yes to Jesus, then this is the way you are taught to live. We give the world a cycle of grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, what is grace? Let's define grace for a moment, okay? So I want to give you some quotes. I'm going to write this stuff down because I want you to walk away knowing these Christian words that are anchored in rich theology are also an invitation to a way of being. And, And let me just say this. The way of being is not some like ideal that you get to when everything works out, <clears throat> Paul writes these letters, most of them when he's imprisoned. If Ephesus in Ephesians, the Ephesians letter, he's imprisoned, handcuffed, chained to a Roman guard. And his language while he's in isolation on house arrest, mandates by a Roman empire is grace and he said, what grace, the word grace is the Greek word caris. And the standard greeting in the first century would have been "karein." Kyrene is how you pronounce it in the Greek. These are the, this is what it looks like. So Paul takes the standard and he just does a little tweak and that would have been noticed. So if you were formally writing a letter, you would use that, but instead he uses caris, which would have been uh, odd, unusual. It would have stood out unless it was very intentional. It was a word that was spoken by Paul, written by Paul to shape the world of the church. These are the words that expand the life of the church. They don't diminish the church. They expand when you live into its depth and meaning. One um, uh, scholar says the word charis, grace, means the free, spontaneous, unmerited favor of God. Gordon Fee, one of my favorite Pentecostal theologians, says it's the sum total of activity of God's activity towards his human creatures found in the word grace. God has given himself to his people bountifully and mercifully in Christ. Nothing deserved, nothing can be achieved. Let me let that definition sit in for a moment. Does that feel anyway? Do you, when you think about this idea of grace... What we've been given, it is by grace you have been saved, not by works, Ephesians 2. So for all you achievers out there, grace is opposed to earning. Let's just keep going on this definition. I'm really enjoying this. This is all for me. So here we go. So another scholar says, uh, Carice is that which causes joy, Pleasure, gratification, keep going. Favor and acceptance. A favor done without any expectation of return. The absolute free expression of the love of God, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver. Unearned and unmerited favor. And peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. For many of us, We've heard this phrase before, but we don't know how to live into its meaning. Grace is a powerful word. It's used over a hundred times in Paul's letters. Over a hundred times. That's significant. Do you think it matters to the Apostle Paul? This idea of unmerited, undeserved favor from God. But it's not just undeserved favor. It has other meanings. And I want to give you kind of a, if you were to look at a diamond, I want to give you some more facets to the word grace. So if you have a Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is another letter from Paul written to the church in Corinth. And Paul's kind of sharing his view of where he is at as an apostle. And he says, First Corinthians chapter 15. I love hearing your Bibles. Thank you. I'm just, I see that you brought them. I see you. I see you. I see you. I hear you. First Corinthians 15 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. Okay, so grace in this context is this raw, uncut, Power within Paul to work hard. Grace is this power that enables Paul to do the hard work of apostleship. Unmerited, undeserved favor, yet also this um, power that enables hard work in the gospel. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to show you another facet of grace that's used by Paul. Over 100 times he uses this word. It's almost every greeting, this phrase, grace and peace is used to um, influence the thinking of those who come to believe Jesus is Lord. Uh, We're going to look at these verses. Chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, and then 6. Check this out. Paul's writing to Corinthians, the same church, And what happened was there was, um, Paul was traveling around the Roman Empire to take an offering to go back to the disciples in Jerusalem because they were experiencing famine, poverty, and persecution. So what the church decided to do is they decided to collect uh, money from all the other churches all over, all over the Roman Empire, and they would bring back money to support the churches halfway around the world to support their brothers and sisters in need. That's where I mean, that has always been our story, extravagant generosity. But listen to the way Paul describes what happened because he's leaving Macedonia and coming to Corinth. Macedonia would be an extremely poor area in the Roman Empire. Corinth was extremely wealthy. So listen to what he says. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian ch- churches. In the midst of... Very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Okay, what he's saying is they're poor, but joyful. <clears throat> they have extreme poverty, but God's grace empowered rich generosity. Okay, so he's letting them, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So essentially the Macedonian churches heard that Paul's doing this offering at all these places he goes to, but Paul wasn't, didn't want to tell them about it because they were poor and they said, no, we want in on the offering. And this poor church g- gave all this money and Paul's like, the only way to describe what happened is Grace. And he goes on in verse six, he says, so we urge Titus just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So he says, but since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and love, we have a kindled you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not wanting... I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through him, through his poverty, might become rich. So Paul has this awkward situation. This very poor community gave extravagantly towards this, this giving thing. And apparently there was conversation between Corinthians and Paul that they were gonna take up an offering, but they haven't done it yet. And he's about to go to Corinth and he doesn't want it to be awkward. So he's like, I gotta let you know about this grace. And the grace, what, this grace in this moment is about God's generosity. Grace empowered generosity that you could be poor by the world's standards and given grace, live with extravagant generosity. And Paul writes to the church to tell the church to get ready in Corinth. Get ready to take up an offering because you don't want to hear about these brothers and sisters. Some of them are coming and I just expect with knowing how you live in Corinth, God's got to do a grace. It's got to be complete. You got to take up an offering. Does that make sense? Grace empowers you to give generously. Grace has something to do with God's ability to enable and empower you to share with one another. So grace, what is grace? You can It's the thing, this raw, uncut power that enables you to do the hard work. It's also this gift from God that empowers you to share generously with one another. There's a grace in giving, he says. And then he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, check this out. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this Greek language is essentially like Paul saying, exercise in grace. Like, go to the gym of grace is what he, you can, you can get strong in grace. Like, you can run a marathon or you can lift weights like a farmer doing work or like an athlete training Grace is something you can grow in strength in. Mysterious, right? These are just some of the snapshots, the facets I want you to see. When Paul writes to the church, grace and peace, he's saying God's, Unmerited favor. He's saying this raw, uncut power that enables you to do the things of the gospel that God has empowered you. It's this thing that enables you to be generous and live your life with this divine energy of giving where you go. And it's something you can grow in. Are you with me, church? You can grow in like an athlete trains. These are just examples within the the scriptures. So grace is simply the ability to accomplish what you would never be able to accomplish on your own strength. As one church father said, grace is the divine energy working in the soul. I I found this quote from John Mark Comer, our good friend, um, in his definition. It's a long one, but that's how John Mark preaches. So here's what he says. He says, and I think it's beautiful and I want to quote him. I didn't have this up there but I'm going to read it to you. It says, Grace is the lavish, opulent, raw, untamed, scandalous blessing of God, unearned, undeserved, illogical, disproportionate, poured out through Christ over every facet of your life and the living presence of the creator God deep inside you poured out through the spirit in a flood of joy, transcendent peace and limitless power to be and do and live up to God's calling on your life. (gasps) Whew. We'll have that up for the second service. Um, <laughs> grace is the shorthand for all that has been received because of Christ. Grace is the gospel in a word. What does grace feel like? What does grace feel like? Or a better question is, how does grace How do you experience grace in relationship to one another in relationships? I was thinking about that last night. I was thinking about when when obstacles come at you, when people say things that might not have truth to them or merit, what does it look like as a Jesus follower to live towards grace, to live towards one another with grace, and I was just thinking, if you're in a relationship as a follower of Jesus, let me, this is what I was saying. Grace is the power that covers. Grace enables you to hold space for difference. Grace holds up when people can't hold themselves up. Grace embraces people, others, without judgment of motive. Grace has the best intentions, intentions in their mind. Grace is warm and welcoming and kind, and it holds people. Because I, I have to say, over the last two years in particular, as a pastor of a local church, the last two years have been the hardest. Now, I know we're all experiencing this together, but especially within the church, there's been loads of conversations that where people judge your intentions. Death by what you look like. You seem this category. Therefore, you are this category. And people make assumptions and beliefs and ideas about you. And if you represent any position of authority, well, in our culture, we want to tear down anything that has authority, which is unfortunate because the kingdom of God has a king. And we live under his authority and must learn to exercise authority like Jesus. So we can't just destroy all authority. We can't force ourselves with picket, um, you know, with, with pickaxes and forks, uh, whatever they're called, pitchforks. I grew up on a farm. <laughs> a pickaxe, what is it? No, I'm just kidding. I know what it looks like. We can't just assume accountability is going to be happening with a mob filled with anger and shame. We know what happens to those leaders. They're crucified. Our model is grace. Our model requires us to absorb the pain. Our model of Jesus requires us to not have the last word. Our model requires us, when it comes at us with anger, to absorb it with grace and release it into peace, which we'll get to in just a second. Where the world wants to invite you into a cycle where you bring, you're gonna justify because you have the list of truth and they have their list of truth and you wanna come back with these things, you just get to say grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine if your social media was marked by grace and peace. What kind of world would we live in if that's how Christians behaved? (laughs) Am I right? No, but let's use power to overwhelm the world for Jesus' sake. When Jesus, who had all authority and power on earth, who had known he had come from the Father and was going back to the Father, got back from the table, took off his clothes and washed the feet of his disciples, therefore setting a model for all of us to say, this is what power looks like in the kingdom of God. So forgive us anytime we try to exercise power outside of the model of Christ, of Christ in Christendom. We fail to represent the king's intentions. Are we preaching? What is peace? I'll go quickly through this and then we'll do ministry time. Well, because I've already done a sermon on this. I'm just going to skip this. So if you... I have a whole section on peace, but peace, one scholar says, is harmony, twink, tranquility, wholeness, well-being, salvation of the total person, reconciliation of persons and societies to God as well as to one another, peace at the deepest level. Paul writes in Greek, but he thinks in Hebrew. He's a Jewish rabbi. Hebrew concept is shalom, which we have talked about here so many times, but shalom comes from this idea of Genesis 1 and 2, specifically where God blesses humanity to increase in number, and to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule over. Subdue and rule is the divine commission of the people of God in Genesis chapter one. Our task as humans is to create environments for the rest of creation to flourish in its fullness. You have been commissioned as a human with the creative, caring, and stewarding task of walking in partnership with God to extend the Garden of Eden to the rest of the earth. This is our human mandate. So we are called to live in shalom, this Hebrew idea where wholeness, completeness, everything working out the way it was intended to be in the first place. So grace is about sitting down and receiving. Let me do that. Grace is about receiving from God unmerited, undeserved favor. It's the energy that empowers us to do what we could never do on our own strength. And from this place, we enter into a cycle of grace and peace where grace is receiving all of life as a gift. Peace is that power from God to now go into the world where God's grace and peace is not yet realized. The places of society and the nations in the world where there's poverty and hunger and injustice. Peace is the power to get up from that space of grace and to do something about this injustice, to do something about this broken place, this broken land, these communities around the world that are suffering, recognizing that our prayer, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven is not yet fully realized because we become Jesus's answer to the prayer as we partner with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to extend God's way of life on earth. That's what peace is about. When Paul writes to you, to the church in Long Beach or the church in Costa Mesa or Seal Beach or Lakewood or Cypress or wherever you live in Signal Hill, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace is the thing that empowers us to do over and over again the works of Jesus. A couple of observations and then we'll pray. I already shared this, but remember, Paul's writing grace and peace from an experience he had. I think about this often in the church world. So much of our trying to argue people into the kingdom is not going to work today right why would i want to join your the church when i look at the church and they are angry and hostile about everything their 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 marriages are so, are just as bad as culture they are addicted to pornography like culture they are addicted to every other substance like culture there's no difference between the way they live in fact they're more anxious than the rest of culture you see the whole purpose of the church is to take the yoke of Jesus on and to live under his rest and his way that is light and free, to live marked by a fruit of another world, fruit of the Spirit, that itself will be a tangible expression of what's to come in the eschatological reality of the future, the end times. We are called to first experience grace and peace. Receive grace and peace. Paul murdered Christians. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He followed 2,000 plus laws to worship God. He believed that if every Jewish boy and girl followed the Torah plus the 1,500 oral commands in one day, the, the kingdom of God would be ushered in in one epic moment. That was the Pharisee mindset. And he takes this legalistic works of faith journey, and he's confronted by the resurrected Messiah in a vision. And now whenever he writes to the church coming from a three Enneagram, he says, but worse, grace and peace to you. This whole thing we're a part of, it's about grace. And from this this place of unmerited favor where you learn once and for all that God Loves you as you are and not as you should be. Then from that space, you begin to operate in the world through peace. Not because you're trying to prove anything, but because you don't know anything else. How are we doing, church? So point number one, Paul, experience grace and peace. Have you experienced grace? Anyone here needs some peace? <laughs> Second thing I want to just say is words have power. And your words matter. They have the ability to... To shape worlds around you. There's life and death in the power of the tongue, and your words have the power to create a new worlds. So I want to invite you today to think about how grace and peace will now be um, working in the words you choose to use. What kind of words do you use when you speak to your spouse when you're angry? Is it grace or peace? What kind of words are you speaking over your children when they continue for the 50th time to not listen? What kind of words do you use to your friends and community when they disagree or disappoint? What kind of words are you using when they hurt you publicly? What kind of words are you choosing to speak in your prayer life towards yourself? What kind of words are you speaking over yourself? Words have the power to create worlds. Last thing I'll say is we have the power... Um, to become conduits of grace and peace. So as you begin to experience the source of grace and peace, I believe God wants to make you a UPS delivery guy. And that's all we get to become in this kingdom, is the delivery, folks. We get to bring to people and situations what we've already experienced and give it away. So I want to invite you this season to experience grace and peace, to let your words, Christians, if you call the garden home, I don't, you know, we don't have formal membership, so we need to figure out how to define this in the future, which we are working on. And if you're online and this is your home, I want to say, be known in your words by grace and peace. Whether they're publicly on social media, whether they're privately behind closed doors, may your words be saturated with words that will create worlds towards the kingdom of God in life versus death. And the last thing is just deliver to others what you've already been given and give it away. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.